Uh, well, do stick in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, keep uh, your thumb in that page. We're going to be um, working through those two verses um, rigorously. We're going to be taking words and seeing what Paul meant uh, by using them. It, there's, an, there's a call, there's an appeal, there's an exhortation that Paul is giving. John has already said we're in the middle of a mini topical series. We're looking at issues for today. We're pausing for a moment to consider the appeal of Paul at the beginning of Romans chapter 12. We've looked at self-obsession, we've looked at technology, we're going to look at money next week. But here's the it's like the sandwich. This, this is what's really going on. In Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, it, it's a pretty good summary of any issue-based uh, issue that we've got to deal with, any issue that we've got to deal with. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it uh, gives us some biblical framework in order to do that. So we're taking um, a week to have a little look at that. Here's the call from Paul, broad. It's a call to be in the world, but not shaped by it. The appeal to get stuck into the world, but not get sucked into it. It's the exhortation to live life in light of these issues that we're looking at, and many more. We're just pulling out three. Every year, I think, we'll do this. We'll take um, a mini-series and look at then topical issues that we've got to address, we've got to work through as Christians, and rightly so. And here's Paul's appeal. See, the thing is, we're bombarded with appeals. What's going to happen, what needs to happen today for us to stop, sit up, pay attention to Paul's appeal? In a world where you're bombarded with appeals, what's going to be the difference for today? What's going to be the difference for this appeal from politicians appealing to you to trust in them and their political party? From football players and managers rallying the fans for the World Cup to get behind the team. We need your support. The appeal goes out. The constant letters urging you to sign up. Virgin, do not stop appealing to me. And here's the latest one. Good news. Hi, Mr Lancaster. You've been specially selected to get a free case from Virgin Wines worth £204.80 p if you take out one of our deals. Appeal, 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 appeal. What needs to happen today for you and I to stop, not just letting another appeal wash over us and do nothing about it, but to stop and say this appeal from Paul today, in Bista, I'm going to take to mind, to heart, I'm going to let it sink in deep, and my life will be different as a result. What's the common narrative you've been listening to the last few weeks? Bar last week, thanks Johnny for digging into uh, 1 Kings 18. But what's the common narrative? Isn't it been this? Have you heard this loud and clear? That God has made all things good? Have you heard that come through Mark's talk, through Johnny's talk? Secondly, that everything good has now been deeply flawed because of the fall of mankind. Everything good that we see, that we experience, has got a flaw in. 
three, the reason for that flaw, humans, instead of loving God, seek him or serve him, have become obsessed with self, with image, with ambition, with gain. Therefore, humans, their creativity, their quest to go and cultivate the earth, the command to go and cultivate the earth, instead of being used to make God look like the great God he is, it's used for selfish promotion. It's used for self-gratification. It's used for selfish means. It's the same. It's the narrative. It's the biblical narrative. And then we see that God has come to redeem the world in which he has created to transform men, women, boys, girls, to bring back those to himself, those who he has created, to show us that he alone brings worth, identity, satisfaction. How? God gives those whom have been transformed a new heart, a new ability to live in a world set up against God. An ability to live for him. An ability to make much of him, desiring him above all that the world has to offer. Ability to worship him. Ability to praise him. An ability to do what we were, what we were created to do from the very beginning. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the text that pulls that all together quite wonderfully. That biblical narrative. So let's look. There's um, a simple PowerPoint behind me. It's the call to live out the appeal, the exhortation to live out the new life. Uh, Firstly, we're going to look at the reason for the new life. Secondly, the way of the new life. And then third, the outcome to living this new life. Look at the reason for the new life, the first one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. All hinges on this word, therefore. And as we look at a text like this, we have to ask such a question, what is therefore, therefore? We have to. What is therefore, therefore? What has Paul already said? How is Paul changing tack now in what he wants to communicate? And you see the first 11 chapters of Romans. Everything that Paul has said up to this point can be summed up as the mercy of God. Back to chapter 1, 16 and 17. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. At the very heart of God's mercy, this is it, at the very heart of mercy, I am no longer a rebel against God. My status has been changed. I have been completely justified. The punishment that was due to me has been taken by the Lord Jesus. And so when Paul says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, that's at the very heart of his mercy. I'm no longer a rebel against God. I'm no longer his enemy. I've now been called a friend. My status has been changed. Done. Dusted. There I stand, a new creation. The old has gone. 
See, Paul's argument has constantly been with Jews that were following the law. Paul is saying, your righteous status, it's not been brought about by works of the law. It's not been brought about by following the commandments that have been given by God to Moses. It's not about following ritual practices, Sabbath keeping, dietary obedience. Your righteous status, the new person, the new you, your forgiven status has only been brought about by faith in Jesus Christ. Christ crucified and Christ risen. This is mercy on your behalf, on my behalf. Christ did what I cannot. He took the righteous punishment of God. He bore the wrath so that by trusting in him, I go free. Mercy. Therefore, brothers, sisters, in view of his mercy, the reason for the new life, mercy, I don't get what I deserve from God. He withheld it. He withheld the punishment that was due to my name. He withheld his wrath. And he put it on the Lord Jesus. Instead, I'm forgiven. I am free and I get a new heart empowered by the Holy Spirit to live for God and therefore Paul urges it's an urge it's an appeal I don't know imagine if Paul was speaking to us face to face it'd be that kind of urge to try and get us to believe it a shake of the shoulders perhaps Perhaps, um, if you know, if you're talking to someone that you know quite well, like a, a hand on the knee, it's, it, it's an urge. It's something that is desperate for me to get. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, it's our urge at Town Church Bister, a people who have been transformed. Remember the purpose statement? Who have been transformed and are being transformed. It's our urge. To help us to remember who you are. Remember what God has done. Remember what God is continually doing. It's like those famous words in that meaty theological Disney movie, The Lion King. You know? No, Jake, you know, you screw your face up, but you know those words. Remember the moment. Simba, you have forgotten who you are, as Mufasa in the stars is bellowing out, you are my son. As Mufasa urges Simba, ah, silly but hopefully helpful, as Mufasa urges Simba to remember who he is, therefore Paul is urging the Christians, remember who you are in view of God's mercy, loaded it's deeply loaded this word mercy, this is who you are, you're changed completely transformed. The reason for the new life, it's all God's. It's all mercy. And it's all great. It's all great. Do I need to remember that today? Or you bet. Do I ever move on from that? No, never. 
Do I often forget it? Yes, always. Urge, appeal, exhort, call. Whatever word you want to use, you see what Paul is trying to do, especially to the Jews in that context who are in danger of still going back to the law to earn a righteous status before God. Don't. Okay, if that's the reason for the new life, let's look at the way of the new life. See those words there in Romans 12 verse 1. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Let's just take those words, offer your bodies. See the word body here. It means entirety. It means everything about you. See, the backdrop is Gnosticism. Mystical knowledge was all that mattered. If the soul was secure, then anything can be done with the body. And that's what Paul was speaking into. Uh, Do you know, if I trust in something, that's what the gods care about. It's your soul. The body, matter, does not matter. And Paul is saying, he's speaking into this world, and he's saying that everything about you belongs to God. Offer your bodies is your entirety. It's your intellect. It's my intellect, however small that may be. It's what you think about. It's what you let into your brain. It's what you ponder about before you fall to sleep. It's what you think about on the toilet, on the commute. Paul says it's entirety. There's not one part of life that does not matter. There's not one piece of thinking that is out of God's system. It really matters. Offer your body, your entirety, your intellect, your emotions, how you feel, what you let affect the way you feel, how you respond to an angry word, to an injustice done against you. It's your intellect, it's your emotion, it's your affections, it's what you like. It's what you like doing on a Saturday afternoon. It's what you're drawn to. It's who you love. It's how you love. Offer your entirety. It's your physicality. It's your health. It's your eating habits. It's your exercise or lack of it. It's your sex life. It's the way you play your sport. It's everything. It's your physicality. Offer your bodies, your entirety. It's your passions. It's what you like spending your time doing, spending your money on. It's your dreams, your ambitions. It's your abilities, your ability to communicate, to smile, to laugh, to build, to create, to work. Paul is saying, because of God's mercy, you're a new creation. The old has come, the new has gone because... He's held back his wrath from you. He's poured it onto the Lord Jesus and he's transformed you. He's saying this, here's your call to offer everything you are. No moment is neutral ground. It's either to God 
or given against God. Everything about you matters. Your intellect, your emotions, your affections, your physicality, your passions, your abilities, whatever else. Everything about you really matters. And what you do with everything you are, Paul describes. So to offer your bodies, how? Here's the first, as a living sacrifice. See here Paul uses the image of the priest in the temple of Jerusalem. There Paul in his former life, he'll have witnessed countless sacrifices. He'll have watched the priest's orderly scrutiny, examination of the fitness of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the sacrifice to be paid. And of course, all of this has been superseded by the once and for all sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. That has all been superseded. There's no longer sacrifice that needs to be made by animals. But do you see what changes its place? All those who've been transformed by the mercy of God are being called to sacrifice, to self-offer their bodies, their entireties, in grateful service to a merciful God. Living sacrifice, self-giving, intentionally saying, Lord, it's yours today, in this moment. It's vibrant. It's alive. It's not passive, offering. It's not begrudging. It's laying my life down and saying, Lord, yours. It says holy. Bodies given in serving God in purity. And then pleasing to God, not in the exact detail of the Levitical law, but in utter sincerity and integrity before God, saying, Lord, you have me. You have my intellect, my thoughts, my emotions. My physicality. Every breath that I take. Lord, it's yours. Here's the first of the three refrains of how I'm to offer my body. First, as a living sacrifice. And second, do not conform to the pattern of this world. You see, if it were just this, I think it would be far easier. But, but there's so much that's kicking against me. There's so much that's fighting against this way of life now. So Paul is saying, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't be shaped by the world that you're in. Don't be shaped by this age. He's not saying that everything in the world is evil per se, and we must flee from it. We heard last week about technology. So much of it can be good, but don't conform to its drive. Don't conform to its pull. Don't conform to its measuring standard. Christians are called to be in the world. I'm called to be in the world, to live for Jesus. Be a light to show what true life looks like. Don't conform to the pattern of this world is the second refrain. And then the third refrain, see, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm a new creation. Paul has done this in the earlier chapters. I've received the Spirit, Romans 6, 17. I have the mind of the Spirit, Romans 8, 5. I now delight in God's law in my inner being. 
I have been and I'm continue to be transformed. And it's He who continues to renew my mind. So even though Paul is saying here, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it's not me that's trying to renew my mind, it's Him. He continues to renew my mind as I continue to acknowledge and express my faith in the Lord Jesus. As I continue to say, Lord, no longer me. Lord, I'm so sorry. Thank you that you're my Savior. Thank you that you're my Lord. He does the renewing of my mind. I keep confessing. I keep expressing my faith in my Savior. And He does the renewing of my mind. Such transformation, isn't it? See, it's going to be a lifelong battle. If you're a Christian here this afternoon, here's the deal. Great mercy. You've been transformed. But now you're in the scrap of your life. Because the world and everything in it is trying to pull you away. And the spirit in you is pulling you this way. And God's saying, let me continue to renew your mind. Keep expressing your faith in me. Remember who I am, what I've done. Isn't it so true the mind or the spirit is, is willing and yet the body is weak? How many times this week could you have said that? Oh, something that I want to do. I know I want to do that. But I just don't end up doing it. It's why church matters. See, the thing is, I need you. I really do need you, and dare I say, you need me. Not that I consume from being a part of church, but I'm here to offer my entirety. And as I offer my entirety to the people of the church, and as I offer, and as you offer, your ability, and as you offer your intellect, and as you offer a heart that's been changed to serve, so you receive much. So God uses people in life to help the renewing of your mind constantly, to be brought back to Him so you express faith in Him. It's why I need church. Of course, some of you heard the story uh, of last weekend of why we couldn't get back from France. A car, back suspension. Don't tell the AA about the hacksaw that I took um, just to get another day, as my daughter thinks we did another day in the sun. Nothing to do with that. Suspension's gone. We've had to stay another 36 hours. And do you know our greatest grief? It really was our greatest grief. And I said to Kerry in our little mobile home, here's my greatest grief. Sack the car. Sack the plants. We're missing Town Church Bristol Gathering this afternoon at four o'clock. And it was our greatest grief. And it was the first time in my life that I can say that wholeheartedly. Of course, I've been involved in good churches before, of course. First time, the greatest grief. I'm missing 
I'm missing people. I'm missing the community. I'm missing the friendship, the relationship. I'm missing the body being a part of it to help me continue trusting in Jesus, expressing my faith in him so that he renews my mind so that I battle against every sin and temptation. Mister. And third, what's the outcome to live in the new life? You see where we've gone? The reason for the new life, God's mercy. The way of the new life, offering your bodies. And then those three refrains. The outcome to living the new life. What does that look like? What does it mean? You see, I've jumped some words. You'll have noticed if you were following. This is your true and proper worship. You see those words? This is your true and proper worship. See, God expects one thing from me, my entirety. That's what he expects. Everything about me at every waking moment. And Paul is saying here, that's true and proper worship. As I offer my entirety, that's my logical worship is the right word there, true and proper. It's logical worship. It's the inevitable worship. It's, it's what will happen if I offer my body as a living sacrifice. Not animal sacrifice anymore. Not silver and gold. Not only silver and gold. We'll do more on that next week. But everything about me, not to secure my salvation, but to express thankfulness for his gift of salvation. It's worship. It's a life of worship. I was 22 years old when I got this, of just grappling with, well, I thought worship was singing songs to Jesus, and it is. Well, it can be, or it can't be, depending upon the heart and the attitude that I'm doing it in. But I thought that was it. I thought, boxed off there, that was worship. And Paul is saying, no, you've got to get this. It is your entirety, your body, Offer your body, your entirety, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is the worship that's acceptable to God. So I can stand at Town Church Bister at four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon and sing of these truths, but it matters nothing if my entirety isn't given over to the Lord Jesus. I can sing them and my mind might be in a thousand different places. I can be singing them and caught up in the most heinous of sins. That's not worship. God says this is your true and proper worship. I see what I love about singing songs in town church. And if I get that it's a part of worship and a very special part of worship because it helps me as I watch others and encourages me and we sing truths and praises of God helps me think about my life. Well, is my life doing what we're singing about? Then it's precious, very precious. It's a story uh, of a, a pastor of a church to try and break this idea that this was the time of worship only uh, in life. Uh, he made, uh, or got a, a big sign made uh, and he put it at the exit of a door so it would just be above there. And the sign said, now... Let's go and worship. To try and drum in to his people that this was not the only time of worship. God calls us to live, offer bodies as living sacrifice. Now is the time to worship as we leave these doors at 5.15, 5.30 today. 
Let's go. Let's go and offer our bodies, our entireties to him. And then Paul ends, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Approve attitudes and actions that match up to the will of God. See what Paul is thinking of here? That the will of God, as my behaviour fits, the will of God, and as I live out a body, an entirety that seeks to worship Him, is it's like a future existence. It's like what's going to happen in the kingdom of God when the children of God come together and, without any hindrance, worship Him. And Paul says, we, we get a taste of that. We can live for that now. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and powerful will. Wow. Do you know what that looks like? Have you ever felt that you've lived in the moment as worship to God and said, this is his will? Not in, am I in the right place at the right time with the right person? As I think sometimes we, our minds go to straight away. But no, this is the place. This is the right time because I'm here. This is a, a life lived out that's holy and pleasing to God because I'm making good decisions. And I know I'm in the will of God because I'm offering my entirety to him. Have you felt that? Do you know what that looks like? And then you'll see in the next few verses, which we're not going to, this is how it's lived out through relationships in a united church and then lived out in the wider community to an unbelieving world. This would draw them to see the wonder of God. As with all the issues that are thrown at us, we move to a different drumbeat. It says my entirety is his. When I became a Christian, a friend, good friend, Fearham, sent me a poster. Odd thing to do. Didn't have phones those days. He sent me a poster of a, of a guy canoeing um, down a, a, a lake. Mountains in the background, sun setting. Uh, and I was thinking about such things of Christianity. And he put this on the post. He said, Lanks, your life, it's a priceless treasure. And it's wedged between two eternities. What are you going to do with it? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Your life, my life, priceless treasure. Why is it priceless? Because you've been created and made uniquely by God. But you've also been brought back to God at the most enormous expense, which is his son. Your life is a priceless treasure and is wedged between two eternities. What are you going to do with it? And it could be at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning and you think it's the most ordinary life. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, you might think it's the most ordinary life, but you're called to live it out in the most extraordinary way. Offer your entirety as worship, because that's what we'll be doing forever, forever and a day. So let's get used to it now, and let's do it together.
Let me pray. And then Chris will help us uh, to sing praise to this God in whom shown us great mercy. Father, thanks. That's where we want to start by thanking you for your mercy. Father, thank you that uh, you saw it fit even when we were still sinners, as Romans 5 verse 8 helps us to understand that while we were still sinners, you, Christ, died for us. Help us to get that just a little bit more today. And then help us to, in the language of Paul in Romans 12, to say, okay, that's it then, my entirety. What does that look like today, tonight when I put the TV on? Tonight when I talk to my wife or husband or make a call back to my parents? I go back to the home when I've got no one to talk to. What does it look like to offer my entirety to you? Lord, Lord I need help and my friends need help to do that. So help us please, Lord, that we would live radical lives. Our whole entirety is given to you that it may be pleasing and fitting. Help us, please, Lord. Let it be pleasing and fitting to you. That it would be your will and we'd know it and would feel it. Father, we ask that you continue to do a great work in our hearts and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.